Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Jules Lipoff, an assistant professor of dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania. And today we are going to be talking about teledermatology with my esteemed guest, Dr. Trilok Tejasvi. Dr. Tejasvi is a clinical associate professor of dermatology at the University of Michigan, where he is also the director of teledermatology and also a cutaneous lymphoma. He's the chief of the Ann Arbor VA and at the AAD, he is the chair of the Teledermatology Task Force. And I am the chair that just preceded him. So we have lots of good conversations on teledermatology, and we're here to bring that to you today. But Dr. Tejasvi, he is the expert that's going to bring us up to date with how things are. So welcome. Thank you, Dr. Lipoff, for that kind introduction and uh, the invitation. Yes, I'm uh, looking forward to answering your questions. We always have lots of questions about telemedicine, teledermatology, telehealth. In a very difficult time, it's been very exciting for developments in teledermatology. So you know that since the COVID-19 pandemic began about two years ago, as we've seen in the survey study that we both worked on with the AAD, telemedicine has expanded in use amongst dermatologists, perhaps if not all, at least over 95% of them. How do you think Teloderm has changed pre-pandemic to now? That's a great question. And again, thank you for including me in the survey study. Yeah, we saw that there was a huge increase in the telemedicine since the pandemic. With I think the most important thing which happened was the public health emergency exception or the CMS 1135 waiver, which came in place, which included exemption and then parity of reimbursement between video and in-person visits which kind of flipped the switch for expanded teledermatology coverage. And prior to the pandemic, we, we know that teledermatology use was almost limited to like federal, like the VA or some of the academic and large PPOs. I think now with the parity, smaller practices and individual members have joined the bandwagon. I still think there is a room for expansion despite the progress we have made in the last two years especially helping our small practice groups and individual members to kind of hop on further. And although we see uh, early adoption of the telehealth, I think we have learned a lot of lessons which we need to address, like the huge digital divide which people are talking about. I think we will cover that subsequently when we are into this interview. I think that's one of the issues which we can see. But I think the PHE and the CMS 1135s waiver was kind of the setting stone for flipping the switch for the expanded telehealth coverage. So if there was like a key takeaway, like what is the biggest thing that there's just been a lot more used, but all, or is it more that different people are using them or using teledermatology, or is it that we're using it a different way? I think it's all of the above, right? It means like prior to the pandemic, it was predominantly store and forward teledermatology which was used. And that was what was encouraged to be used too. And sorry to interrupt, but can you just explain to our listeners who might not know this terminology what store and forward means? Well, store and forward teledermatology is an asynchronous form of telemedicine where a patient takes a picture of the skin condition, what they have, and they send it through a HIPAA compliant portal to the dermatologist. And the dermatologist looks at the images and the history provided and gives them the recommendations and prescriptions. This is for where, where we would call direct to patient care. And then we have also done so and forward teledermatology for 
provider to provider, like somebody in primary care who wants to know what condition that his or her patient has, takes photos and send it to our dermatologist. And then the dermatologist looks at those images and the history and gives the recommendations to the primary care providers. So this is what we traditionally call as store and forward teledermatology. So before the pandemic, we were promoting in the academic world store and forward primarily. But it seems that if you ask any person these days, what does telemedicine look like? They're going to describe like a Zoom call, a video visit. How do you feel about that shift? So I think the biggest reason for that shift is the parity of reimbursement. I think it's reimbursed at the same as an in-person visit. How do I feel about it? For conditions like acne, for follow-ups of flaring rashes or dermatosis, it works great. But if you see in the situation where we have a new lesion or things which are hard to appreciate over a video can be a challenge when we do video only or live interactive teledermatology. So I think as we saw in our survey, actually, there are certain conditions that dermatologists felt more comfortable with with video or telemedicine. And some things they felt they could only do in person. Do you agree with that general perspective? Like, t- like total skin exams really have to be in person, but acne can totally be managed by video? I completely agree with that, the survey result, because I'm not still comfortable doing a total body skin exam on teledermatology unless we have tons of photographs of different parts of the body in the right way. Again, there are huge limitations to do that. So I think I agree with the survey results on like, you know, we am not comfortable doing a total body skin exam. And I'm completely comfortable doing a follow-up of acne, isotretinoin follow-ups, mildly flaring eczema or psoriasis, and even sometimes refills, including biologics for uh, psoriasis or uh, eczema. So it sounds like you've seen some strengths of where teledermatology can play a role in your day-to-day clinic. Are there any practices that you've been uncomfortable with or things that you think we should avoid specifically use it in, aside from the total skin exam? Aside from the total skin exam, I think anytime your patient, you're not able to obtain adequate history or wherever you're uncomfortable doing a teledermatology visit, I would prefer the patient to be seen in person. That would be my biggest limitation. Well, I think like a lot of the average dermatologists, I imagine many of us have used teledermatology during the pandemic, certainly during the height when it was hard to get patients in person at all, or to be safe. What do you say to the average dermatologist that says, okay, it served its purpose. Now I just want to go back to the way it was. What do you say to them? That's a million dollar question. I think with, with the pandemic kind of on its way out and then face-to-face or the in-person visits picking up, it could be hard for individual members or small practices to kind of still stay on the teledermatology bandwagon. But I think the cat is out of the bag. For I mean to say, patients love it. I think patients would tell us to use this. And I think they have seen the advantages and the satisfaction which, has, which the teledermatology has brought in. So it's going to be hard for us to kind of dial back to pre-pandemic days. Definitely. I think you could say the genie's out of the bottle. As you know, Verma, former administrator of Medicaid and Medicare CMS, 
once said at the beginning of the pandemic. So moving ahead, I don't think it's necessarily easy for all typical dermatologists for implementing this, but it does seem to me that teledermatology has the potential to really expand access to care, to give people opportunities to not have to miss as much work anywhere that they have even just a cell phone or computer. Can you comment on if that's bearing fruit that we really are seeing that it improves access as we had hoped or are there concerns I've heard about this digital divide where some people don't really have good internet access so they actually are hampered by a system dependent on internet? Yeah, prior to the pandemic, <laughs> if you had asked me this question, probably I would have said, no, no, it's useful for, I think we started teledermatology to kind of help the underserved or the remote people who are staying in the remote areas. Right. And has it helped? I think this pandemic has helped, taught us the lesson that technology is kind of a double-edged sword. I'd say it has great advantages in, you know, serving patients safely and in an effective way where we could limit the spread of the pandemic. At the same point of time, the technology itself, due to, you know, uh, availability of the internet or the connectivity or the stability of the internet itself being the limitation or even availability of smartphones, you know, being the limitation for a lot of my patients, I saw that that could be the huge limitation to access to dermatologists. That's what I think this pandemic has taught us. I agree. I think I was always under the impression that, well, there's only room to improve access because it's a new method. But in practice, we find, you know, the most resource, the most wealthy tend to take up more than their fair share. They crowd out the poorer people and the poor people may lack health literacy, English literacy. They may lack access so they can't get in. But there actually was a recent study, not in dermatology, over here at Penn, that did seem to suggest that there was better follow-up across all uh, ethnic groups uh, as far as telemedicine having potential to improve access. So I think the jury's still out, but there are a lot more questions and concerns than maybe we had beforehand. It's not a slam dunk as much that it always improves access. So I want to focus for a second on your role as the chair of the teledermatology task force. I know a lot of members, they've had different experiences with teledermatology They want to add it. They want to refine it. They want to do it better. They're looking for support. Can you tell me what the AAD's current position is on these practices and where members can find resources to helping them in establishing Teloderm? Absolutely. The AAD encourages members to utilize teledermatology services in a safe and a meaningful way. I think we have recently published the AAD teledermatology standards, which is available on the teledermatology task force toolkit, which is under the members practice management webpage. And you can go to that site and look at all the different things which we have provided. There is, and there are lists of multiple things. Like we have the position statement, we have the standard, we have the coding for teledermatology overview. We have coding teledermatology flowchart. We have multiple flowcharts for different practices like the academia, or if you're a small practice or you're an individual practitioner, we have workflows for all of those in in that. We also have list of vendors who are HIPAA compliant and who also have, and who have listed their BAA. 
that's the business associate agreements. Along with that, and a list of do's and don'ts under COVID tab on the teledermatology toolkit. Great, and that sounds like really useful resources. I want to take a, a look at our crystal ball for the future. We've talked about some of the changes. We've certainly seen how the pandemic has changed the regulatory environment, has forced us in an emergent way to adapt to the ways of delivering care that we never thought we would. But hopefully there is a silver lining to this cloud that we've learned new innovative ways of taking care of our patients. Where do you see the future? Where is teledermatology going? Has it the pendulum swung in one direction and going back? Or is it really going to expand? Is augmented intelligence going to be integrated? Where do you think things are going? I had the crystal ball, but I'm going to predict some of the things here. But looking at the whole scene, I think as we spoke, the cat is out of the bag or the genie is out of the bottle. Teledermatology is here to stay. Um, I think telemedicine is here to stay. And the future is going to be determined by, I think, what we saw prior to the pandemic, which is whether this telemedicine exemption is going to be a permanent one or is it here if there is reimbursement parity, if the license, like if the HIPAA, HIPAA compliant, if the HIPAA compliant platforms are made more easy and then the licensing requirements made more easy. I think if those things are done, I think it's here to stay. But if there is any change in that, I think we will see the pendulum swinging back. But for, for me, I think the most important thing is like, if everything stays in place, I think we should look for telehealth for all. I mean to say, to bridge this digital divide, what do we need to do? Like, you know, we need to make that as a priority where we develop patient-facing materials in multiple languages and formats, including materials for hearing aid, hearing and visually impaired. Um, listen to uh, groups with access challenges and work with them to design interventions, like consider reading level of material, seek input from patient advocacy groups, connect patients to resources, like provide opportunities to in-person support, like utilize medical assistance, do a dry run with the patients the day before their visit to reduce technological problems and you know, advocate for better broadband. I think that's one of the things like we, you can use our utilization of like public health libraries or places where you can ensure a video platform has an interpreter services and closed captioning options built in, ease to use, things like that. And then simplify the technology, like evaluate a platform, consider its usability, reliability, and privacy and security, and make sure that it's a very simple technology. If all these are in place, I think we would see that this is going to stay and grow in a healthy way. I mean to say it would be progress taking care and also that would help us deliver telehealth for all. That's what I think would be the future. Yeah, it does seem there's like so much unlimited, untapped potential that teledermatology could better triage, really meet our patients wherever they need us to, but still we're not maximizing our utility, maybe over-reliance on video visits, not enough using it in other visits. I think some of it is just, you got to learn by doing. And we just got to, you know, now that we've gotten everyone bought in, most people have actually done telederm, which was not the case two, three years ago. So hopefully that experience can be translated into improving models and making it work and that we don't just go back to the way things were because we're in a new world and we need to embrace that. And 
meet these new challenges with new innovations. So just to close on out, I want to ask Dr. Tejasvi, thank you for your time and your expertise. Are there any parting thoughts or any issues that you wanted to bring up that we did not get a chance to? Absolutely. I think one of the things which all members should be looking forward is to our teledermatology symposium at the AAD teledermatology annual meeting, AAD meeting in Boston on Monday from 9 to 12. We have a line of experts of teledermatology who will be speaking on different aspects of teledermatology applications to the future, all the good things. And I think everyone would kind of learn a lot from the experiences learned by these experienced experts. And I think you'll be in for a treat. Yeah, well, I think you're being humble. It's quite an awesome assembly of teledermatology speakers. If you are interested, that's going to be Monday, March 28th at 9 a.m. I'm not sure if this comes out by then, but at the very least, by the time this comes out, the recordings will eventually be available on VMX for anyone to watch. So do come early and often to all teledermatology learning opportunities. Dr. Tejasvi, thank you for taking a time and for Dialogues in Dermatology. I hope you all have enjoyed what you've learned today. Again, this is Dr. Jules Lipoff. I hope you have a wonderful one. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Lipoff.